Thank you, John Paul. If we could work up some enthusiasm for him, we might have something, you know? Hey, praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to talk today about a passion for purity, a passion for spiritual purity. When we get to this passage in 1 Samuel 15, we find our friend Saul. He is king, and King Saul has been given a mission. He's been given clear instructions. This is what you're supposed to do. The instructions came from God through the prophet Samuel. Samuel said, here's what the Lord says for you to do, Samuel. Go and wipe out the Amalekite people. Take all of them down. And indeed, our friend Saul does go and make war on them, but he stops short of full obedience. I want you to read with me from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. If you'd like to stand with me while we read from the word of the Lord, I'd be grateful for that. Here's what the Bible says. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Let's pray together, church. Today, Lord, we have gathered with the idea that you, Lord, have joined us as yours, both to you and to one another. So today, encourage us with this word from your word. Help us, Lord, to listen well and respond May today, Lord Jesus, be the day that you call us to a fresh start. And thank you, Lord Jesus, in advance for what you will do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. You may be seated. You know, when we read through this story, we see God's clear instruction. It must be obeyed, not debated. If you go back to the first 11 verses of this chapter, you will find the instructions that I mentioned a moment ago. God said, go wipe out the Amalekite people. God's clear instruction was to be obeyed, not debated. Does it matter why wipe them out? Well, yes. Let's talk about these Amalekites and why God wanted them destroyed. Why did God want them destroyed? So the Amalekites were descendants of Esau, the older brother of our friend Jacob. This, this was a people who rejected the heritage of Judaism. The army of Amalek attacked the Jewish people right after Israel left Egypt. They were defeated because God heard Moses' prayer in Exodus 17, the Lord declared perpetual war against Amalek. These were constantly trying to steal people's attention from obedience to God. It was a leak, you might say, and God was trying to plug it up. He wanted to stop this. Now, let's take a little rabbit trail for just a moment. There are not a few people who will say, well, what God is doing here is genocide and it's wrong. God has no authority, no right, no privilege to command that these people and not those people should be wiped out from the face of the earth. This is evidence in the minds of some that God is unjust, 
that he's an angry, mean-spirited, vindictive God, and that because of that, we should reject him, we should stand clear of them, because after all, if he's doing this, he cannot be a good or loving God. Can I tell you today, my friends, that's using our methodology to judge God's character. It's a bad deal. You cannot judge God's character because you are not equal to him. Now, you can disagree with God, and you would be wrong in doing so. You're more than welcome to do so. But recognize this. What the Amalekites were doing was not merely an assault on God's people. To attack God's people, get this now, to attack God's people is to attack God himself. I want you to think about this. Let's pretend that somebody has something ugly to say about you. And I mean you particularly, you. Now, if you're like me, then you'll listen to that and go, well, that kind of stings, but sticks and stones may break my bones, but names won't really hurt me. I can step past that pretty easily. But you want to get my dander up, see the hair on my back come up, Start talking about my wife. Start talking about my son. Then you'll see me turn from pastor into husband and father real quick. Why do we think it'll be any different than that with God? An attack on God's people is an attack on God himself. An assault on God's people is an assault on God himself. And the Amalekites had made a habit, an entire lifestyle out of attacking God's people. That, friends, is why God said they must be destroyed. Now, when we get to verse 7 and the next section, we see that our friend Saul has attacked the Amalekites, and he has attacked them vigorously. He has exterminated Almost all of them. You see it in verses 7 through 11. You'll see that he has done a good job in killing off all that which wasn't good. He kept what he deemed the best. I want to put in parallel something for you. Our good versus God's best. Our good, the things that we decide are too good or that are good enough versus that which God says is worth waiting for. It's his best. Coach John Wooden said, your best may not be as good as someone else's better. Voltaire said, good is the enemy of best. And when our friend Saul was walking around as they were exterminating the Amalekites and as people brought things to him, they said, this is too good to destroy. We can't wipe this out. We'll save it. We'll save it because it's too good to go to waste. Oh, and they threw in some noble purposes. You ready for this? We'll sacrifice some of this to God and that'll make it okay that we didn't obey him. Make no mistake, my friends, this kind of moment is exactly where that distinction between good and God's best comes into sharp focus. Which 
one will you choose? You see, to be spiritually pure, I can only have one of those. I must choose. I can choose the good that I see or the best that God has commanded me to. I can have what really is attractive and looks good, or I can have God's best. Let's say it another way. To be spiritually pure, I must choose between victory or obedience. You see, neither of those are inherently bad. The problem comes when God has given me clear instruction, when he has said, wipe them out, overrun them, don't leave anything. And that was the instruction that God had given, and Saul didn't keep it. It's a sad commentary. Why, Darren, is it sad? Because Saul had already made this mistake once. Go back a couple of chapters and you'll find Saul had, had made the decision that obeying God wasn't as important as being popular. Hmm. We've seen that show before, maybe even in our own lives. We've seen this mistake and Saul had sought God's forgiveness and received it just like David did last week. This moment in time then where Saul comes to this is where Saul substituted saying obedience for doing obedience. To be spiritually pure, we must choose differently. You see, in Saul's mind, you see it in this chapter, in Saul's mind, he did do what God said. But to be spiritually pure, we must choose differently. We can't do like Saul did. Partial obedience is full disobedience. I don't want you to miss this, friends, and it comes with a moment of reckoning. Saul's moment of reckoning arrives in verses 12 to 15. Let's talk about a moment of reckoning for a minute, shall we? One of my professors at Southwestern Seminary, he was a guy that was given to late-night snacks. His, his wife knew this, and she would, from time to time, make things and leave them in the refrigerator for Bruce to find them. And so he would go in, and he would find the snack that she had prepared for him, left in the refrigerator, lovingly, graciously. And he went in this one particular night, and there was, in the refrigerator, a chocolate shake. He got really excited. Wow, this is tremendous. So he grabs it out of the refrigerator and takes a big slug. And then he realizes it is not, in fact, a chocolate shake. It is pancake batter. He had some explaining to do the next morning about why there was pancake batter spit on the wall. His moment of reckoning came without a warning label. If he had known that in advance, he wouldn't have made that mistake, would he? I want to tell you today, friends, if Saul knew what his disobedience would cost, there's no way that he would have made that. Let me read verses 12 to 15 for you. 
The prophet Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went on down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I perform the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of oxygen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me this night. The reality is, Saul lies and his kingdom dies. Saul greets Samuel warmly. This wasn't the first time he'd made this mistake. Like we said a minute ago, Samuel, Saul had made it before. But such a mistake was one that he drank from the poison well again. I've done everything the Lord commanded me, he said. I've even built a monument to myself to celebrate that. Samuel wasn't having it, not for a moment. You see, we expect better from those in trusted positions. We had a great example of that just this week. There was a video floating around on Twitter. Maybe you saw it too. That was a video of a police officer, a body cam from their, their time of service. They had been sent to serve an eviction notice, and they were going through taking something of an inventory of the house, and as they did so, they thought, they thought, they thought their body camera was off, but they did not know that it was, in fact, not off. And they came through the house, and everything that they thought was small enough to fit in a pocket and small enough to be of value, but something that they would want, they opened their shirt and stuffed these items into it. Now, that's absolutely very rare for law enforcement, A hundred times out of a hundred, that probably won't happen. This is not an indictment on law enforcement. It's an indictment of that particular individual. Friends, this is what I want you to recognize. Temptation is a powerful force. Saul faced it and gave in to it. I don't want you to. So let's say this, to be spiritually pure, I must count the cost. Sin never tells me the truth about what it'll cost. It looks glamorous. It looks inviting. Saul is being whispered into his ear by the enemy himself. Go ahead. It's okay. You can make up for it by giving. Let's be clear, friends. The Lord does not want what you have. He has plenty. What the Lord wants is you. Let's move on to the last section. God's clear command was violated by Saul, and it's followed by clear consequences. You see, our friend Saul was intent on being the dynastic king. He was supposed to be what we think of King David. But that first set of lies that we talked about a moment ago, that first set of lies in that God's judgment on him was 
Saul, you will reign, but your dynasty has been removed. Now, now, the dream that Samuel had the night before this says that your time as king is over, even if you're still sitting on the throne. Let's be clear, when we see it in verse 15 and 16, we see that Samuel isn't having any of it. Stop, verse 16 says, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. The things that, that, that Saul t- is told at that point is quite simply, your kingdom is concluded. And for the next several verses, our friend Samuel leads Saul down the path to destruction. See it in verse 17, and you'll see a modest beginning. Though you were little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. A modest beginning. Not a person who was one to be thought highly of from the beginning, and yet God raised him up just the same. Here's the second part of that path. God's hand raised him up and gave him a mission. See it there in verse 17. Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The answer is, of course you are. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission. Hmm. God has given us a mission too. Go and make disciples. Since you have been raised with Christ, these commands are things that call me to a particular path, a a course of action. What will I do with the commands God has given me? What will I do with what God has told me to do? Verse 18, the Lord sent you on a mission. Go devote to the destruction of sinners. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul rejected the mission and thus rejected God himself. Now, you might say, but Darren, God's asking something awfully hard. He's asking Saul to reject everything that he can see, reject everything that he's ever known. Things have not changed, friends. To that point, I say, read Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the world in which you live, but be transformed. Be changed. God's asking the same of us. Are we willing to take the path that isn't of least resistance. The passage that I read for you in verse 22, obedience, not sacrifice, is what God wants most. Keep reading, and we don't have time for it this morning, but keep reading, and here's what you'll see. The fear of people motivated Saul's decision, not fear of God. You see, he had to balance two things. One was the people over here. They were saying, hey, this is too good to destroy. We can't do this. We need to save this fear 
of people. Saul was worried about losing their confidence. Saul was worried about them raising up a mutiny against him. He was worried. He was afraid of the people. Now you might say, but Darren, he was the king. Yeah, I know. That's the silly part. He was afraid. Oh, that he would have been more afraid of God himself, the God who raised him up and commanded him and commissioned him. Can I tell you today, my friends, obedience is what God wants, not sacrifice. He doesn't need anything you have. He gave it all to you. He can take it back if he wants it. What he wants is you. You, friends, just you. Not what you have, not what you can bring, not what you can do, just you. As a result of Saul's choices, God has rejected Saul as king. A sad reality and one that that changes the trajectory of the Israelite kingdom. Saul, still fearful of the people, is more worried about his reputation than being right with God. He asks Samuel, well, go with me. So if we might insert an editorial comment, so I don't lose face. Oh, that he was worried about losing God's trust at that point. I want to send you home with two things. One, to be spiritually pure, I must remember to obey is better than anything else. I've heard people say, well, I can't be obedient to the Lord in this area, but I'll be obedient to God in that one and I'll make up for it with giving. Or I'll do some things that will make God feel better about me. You know, let me just be clear with you, friends. Those are awesome things to do. Giving is wonderful. Service is amazing. But what God really wants is you. One of the greatest realities that I see in American Christianity, not just here in Midland, but across the board is this. Our character is more tested by our successes than our failures. What God wants most of all is you to trust him when things are well. When things are rolling high and you're in high cotton, so to speak. Today, friends, I want to encourage you to recognize God's call on Saul's life is not that different than the call he's placed on our lives. So now we're down to the invitation. What will you do with this moment of purity? You have a couple of choices you can make. One is nothing. You can do nothing. You can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I've done, I'm doing fine, thank you. Could it be though that you're looking within yourself even now and you're saying, No, there's more yet ahead that needs to change. Can I give you a word of hope today, a word of encouragement? Today's a good day to start. Today is the best day to start. Some might say, well, I'm waiting on a sign from God. Here it is. 
He and I were talking about you just this morning. And what he asked me to tell you is it's not too late for you to start over right here and right now. And then you can avoid the mistake that our friend Saul made, believing that he could buy his way out of the problem. To obey, friends, is what God wants for you. To be spiritually pure, then, let's do this. Let us begin by saying, God, I want you more than I want anything else. I fear you in a healthy, powerful, respectful way more than I fear others or other things. If we've learned anything in the last three years, it's that things are uncertain. Settling these questions allows me the chance to say, I'll start from here. Maybe you need to respond today to that. Well, what do I do, Darren? How do I, how do, I do that? Here's where you begin. Call on the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How do you do that? By simply saying, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, there's no good in me. I want to do right, but I just am not built for doing right. Not on my own. Will you forgive me, Jesus? Will you come into my life and be the master and Lord of my life? Will you change me? And then you do what our friend Emily did at the start of this service. Step out boldly and say, I'll be baptized to show the world my life is different. That water doesn't save you. It tells everyone, though, that your life has been saved. Today, friends, you have choices to make. For some of you, it may mean coming to this altar and talking to either myself or one of my staff or kneeling at this altar and saying, Jesus, I'm broken. Will you fix me? Today is your day for making a decision. What will you do with it? Let's pray together. I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity you've given us to be together this morning. I'm grateful, Jesus, for the love that you've shown us and for the call that you've put on our lives. I'm grateful, Jesus, for the privilege of being yours and being loved by you. I know, Lord, I know there are many who are struggling right now with the idea that Saul deserved another chance. Jesus, you died to give us that next chance. So, Lord Jesus, instead of us being critical of your decisions, then let us embrace the grace you've offered us now. I pray today, Jesus, that we would learn from the mistake of Saul. And we would hear again the words of Samuel, to obey is better. I pray, Father, for those who need to respond to you today, whatever that means. And I pray today, Father God, that this moment is the time they would choose to use for that purpose. Do your work here among us, Lord Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.